Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Jordan Warren, co-founder and CEO at Hey Joe Coffee. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I, what I loved about what you guys are doing is you're building kind of a hardware product. And I, I like kind of talking to people about that whole process, but kind of maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and kind of cover your background. So do you want to maybe start up off with uh, where you grew up? Sure. Yeah, I grew up in Atlanta. Um, okay. Suburbs of Atlanta. Sure. And then uh, went to high school around there, and then I actually kind of moved around, skipped around a bit. So I I lived in New York, and okay. So what got you up to New York? Uh, just I guess a family move. You know. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, just transferred high schools up there, and graduated up there, up I in imagine. upstate. Uh, very cold. And sure. Then I went to Atlanta, sure. Oh, man. It's brutal. It's like nine months of winter. Um, but then I went to college in Charleston. Okay. What did you take in college? Uh, business. At first, I, I majored in business, and then I transferred to college in, uh, in Atlanta, came okay. back to Atlanta. Okay. And um, then changed my major to business and film. I got you. And then transferred again to UGA. Okay. Um, Why the transfers? So, so originally, I went to Charleston because... Um, I love Charleston. I mean, I, okay. I it's a beautiful place. I've never been, but it, I heard it's beautiful, and yeah, clearly. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Um, so I just like the energy there. But uh, after a year of being there, I got together with a girl um, in Atlanta. So, I got you. And, and a lot of my friends and family were back in Atlanta, so made the move back to Atlanta. And then um, as I was going to school in Atlanta, um, even though I came all the way back for all that, she was in Athens, so it was oh, still okay. kind of a, a long distance thing. And then I started going to Athens visitor, made a lot of friends in Athens. So um, UGA was a lot more social environment compared to where I was and got you. made the move there too. Very cool. So you, you got out of college. What did you kind of end up doing after college? Um, oddly enough, I, uh, so I had a, an opportunity to go into kind of a marketing position. Okay. Um, which was kind of exciting, but it was in sports. It was sports marketing. Sure. And I'm really not into sports. Uh, I got you. Like, I'm the kind of, I'll watch it if it's on TV, but I'm not, I don't follow teams or anything. So. Sure. I'm in the same boat, so I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a combination of marketing and, and, uh, and sales of uh, sports. Sure. And I wasn't terribly passionate about the position, so had an odd kind of opportunity and Ended up just starting a business. Uh, okay. Right out of college. Um, so, so what kind of business, and why did you decide to kind of just go into business for yourself? Um, so, my father-in-law, um, my now father-in-law. So it was my uh, my wife's father was a co-owner of a franchise. Okay. So we had the ability to get the franchise rights to. Um, a store. I got you. Um, but I mean, we still had to invest in the store right. and build it out and, you know, do all that. So we took out a loan okay. to do that, but we got to bypass the franchise rights. So anyway, the, the field or the industry was um, bioidentical 
uh, hormone therapy. So it was okay, a very totally random, but it was a cool learning experience. My wife is very passionate about nutrition and, and health okay. and wellness. So um, she's also kind of turned me onto that and, and, and changed a lot about my habits. So we got into that and uh, did very well, uh, grew it to be the top producing franchise in the nation. And Wow, congrats, man. That's yeah, awesome. Thanks. And um, sold it. So uh, after that, I got into um, product development. Okay. Total, again, totally right. Sure, random. sure. I but, love it, though. Um, I have always, I guess, considered, I, I, I've had a lot of ideas, you know, so okay. um, product development seemed like a really interesting field to me uh, to learn about. So um, started working at a company and then partnered at that company and then actually started running that company. And then... Um, so along that way, I kind of established a network of um, uh, resources, factories. You know, I had to travel to China a lot. I had to sure. meet with buyers from Target and Menards and Home Depot. And I got you. Um, so how was that experience traveling and meeting people in you know China and, and whatnot? Like probably a language barrier. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. How, what was that experience like? I'm always fascinated by that. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, and it's still interesting because I go to China probably three times a year or something like that. Okay. And um, each time it gets easier, but it's it, it's just constantly a reminder of you know when people say it's a small world. Sure. And, and it's not. I mean, to me. I mean. Okay. What, okay. Why do you say that? Out of curiosity. Because I get on a plane, I get on this metal vessel, and I'm on it for 14 hours. Okay. And then I step out of the plane, and I'm I'm no longer in you know. The, the world I'm used to, it's a completely different environment. It's, sure. I can't talk to anyone. If I'm not with anyone that speaks English, it's like, you know, you can't speak to anyone. No one, no one knows English. Um, sure. Or some people do, but it depends on where you go in China. Sure. Um, so it's just a very different cultural experience and it's, it's humbling to kind of look around and, and see, um, you know, the way that another part of the world lives. It's just like, it's not, it's not what we're, used to sure know. so you always bring like a translator then or have you kind of learned the language a little bit or a little of both uh, a little a little of both i don't bring a translator but i happen to so when i was mentioning that i was kind of establishing a network of you know uh, manufacturers and sure. sourcing agents over there a lot of those guys um you know in the in in business in china do speak english so okay because they deal with a lot of people in kind of north america yeah i got you yeah and, and probably other parts of the world yep sure yeah they manufacture and import so i'll go over there and they'll you know depending on where i'm traveling if i go to ningbo or shenzhen I'll, I'll meet with them and you know we'll go around but if i you know i'll oftentimes go back to shanghai or travel to beijing and then i'm on my own so i got you um i, I like it both ways you know, okay so you were doing this manufacturing stuff on your own. Hmm. Did you self-taught? Like, how did you kind of learn this stuff? Um, so when I when I got a position at the product development company I was mentioning, um, sure. I learned, I mean, I just from the ground up learned, you know, from the engineering stage to uh, iteration stage to the design stage to the development stage to, um, you know, actually manufacturing it bring it to market and I mean I just kind of had to learn each one of those components so. so did you have somebody helping you with that or you basically had to do it yourself oh no I, I had someone uh, yeah definitely helping me okay that had an established background and a network already established so okay very cool so at what point did you kind of decide to leave that company 
Um, well, I, I never really left the company. I still kind of, uh, I still kind of manage it. Okay. So um, it's it's kind of mixed in with Hajo Coffee. I mean, okay. Uh, in terms of the infrastructure, I mean, the foundation of it is is uh, logistics. I mean, we've got a we've got to uh, produce products in China. Sure. And then ship them in. Okay. And then um, ship them out to distributors or directly to consumers. Okay. So is this Asia Direct or, or what's the company? Yeah, that okay. is the name of the, uh, okay. I guess, the, the the company that's kind of partnered with Hajo Coffee. I got you. Okay. So at what point did you decide to kind of branch off and do Hajo Coffee? Um, it I, just, I guess you're not really branching off. You just like added it to the portfolio. Then, right. I guess. Yeah. The, the original mm-hmm. intention was to kind of diversify the products that I got we you. offered. Um, but we got to a point where it just picked up a lot of traction that we were like, well, let's make this a separate entity and focus on it in a different way because it has the product itself has different requirements. You know, I got you. Uh, with Asia Direct, we're more um, producing lawn and garden, uh, you know, metal stuff that's meant for retail, whereas Hajo Coffee is more of like a uh, it, it has more requirements for social media management and, um, you. you know, uh, branding and, you know, all, thing, all the things that go along with that. So once we got enough traction, we were like, we need to really build this infrastructure out uh, separately. I got you. So what exactly is Hajo hey Coffee? Uh, Hajo hey Coffee is, um, it, it's a, uh, well, to start simply with the mug, the mug is a, battery-powered self-brewing coffee mug. So okay, it's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Sure, especially in the startup space, I think the, the running joke is that developers turn uh, coffee into code. So <laughs> I think it's awesome yeah. that what you guys are doing. Yeah. So what was the idea or like what kind of, when did you decide, well, this is a real thing that we want to build? Like how did you come up with the concept? So the concept came from, uh, I, I mean, I'm a coffee um, call it enthusiast, fanatic, addict, you know, whatever. But um, it came just kind of snowballed. So I had um, one of those standard experiences at at Starbucks or a local coffee shop where I got a cup of coffee and got in my car, took a sip. It was too hot, burned my mouth, put it down, took the top off, went over a speed bump, spilled it everywhere, um, got to the office, was too cold, heated up, tasted burned, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And then I got frustrated because it was like, this is such a, I mean, this is not the first time it happened to me. It, sure. it happened to me multiple times. So then I thought, well, I'm in product development. What's the solution to this problem? I got you. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So. Okay. So you built probably like a, a first prototype or, or how did you build the first version of this thing? Yeah. So the first version was, uh, you know, we had to engineer in SolidWorks and then we 3D printed it. Okay. And then, um, you know, tested it from a feasibility standpoint. But, I mean, getting into this, I had, I really had no idea how complicated this project was going to be. Sure, because you went from kind of doing like metal lawn kind of stuff development for retail, and then you're moving to like a full, like electronics company, kind of, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. so, So, what was the process of that? Okay, so you 3D print this thing, then what happens? Well, um, from the manufacturing standpoint, we had to figure out a system where um, we could actually brew the coffee. So we went through that process of, you know, saying, okay, you know, we figured out a way to get it to drip through and, do, you know, do all that. But then... How did you figure that out? Were you building little prototypes? Um, no, we had an engineer that we were working with okay. uh, in-house from, okay. 
from Georgia Tech, uh, really smart guy. And um, yeah, um, he helped us figure it out. So okay. from there, um, you know, we, we thought we had kind of solved the issue and we could kind of move to, to manufacturing. But the problem was that there's just, I mean, everything that you can possibly imagine will go wrong when, when you know, the more complicated a product gets. So sure. the way we'd envisioned it, there were leaking issues um, that really couldn't be bypassed because water finds a way through everything. And, sure. Um, and then there were battery issues and there were heating plate issues and uh, PCB board issues and, I mean, just everything in between. So, I mean, the process was not straightforward. It's it's hard for me to say, you know, it went from this to this to I this. I got you. It was so how do you kind of solve these these problems as they come up do you have to fly back to the manu like the manufacturer do you do you have calls on the phone do you have to kind of re-engineer stuff a bit of all of that yeah that's an interesting question because i mean the way that the internet is today allows us to communicate very effectively over email sure um but there's nothing more i guess that has more impact than face-to-face -face, kind sure. of seeing things hands-on so it was a little bit of both but it's mixed with a lot of late nights because there's so many deadlines and you know right. China's obviously on a 12 hour time zone difference. Right. So oftentimes I'm working at 12 a.m., 1 a.m., 2 a.m. to uh, on Skype or calls or right. um, or email or I'm over there in China. So it's, it's a bit of both, yeah. Okay, so when you you go over there, you have like a working version that you're happy with. What's the process? Or do you work with them, like the manufacturer to kind of get a, the version that you're going to say like, okay, make us a million of these or whatever the number is. Mm. How do you get to that? And how do you kind of go from like one, like, yeah, we're going to build this to, you know, like an actual product where you get a bunch of them back? Uh, that was a great question again. Um, and something that I didn't even think of, I guess, until later, but because of the difference in the nature of the product being electronic, sure, it's going to come with defects and you know, things like that in, in the original stage. So as right. we, we got to that point, we had to figure out, well, let's stagger the shipments. So instead of producing, you know, a thousand at once or 10,000 at once, we sure. produced a uh, hundred and then a couple hundred and then I got you. a few hundred and had them send them in and we had to test them in house. We shipped them out. We had to assess, you know, feedback from people because we, you know, last thing we want to do is get a thousand that have one issue that makes the whole thing not work. So Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So how did the first run go? Did you get a bunch returned or it was pretty successful or? Fortunately, our team in China is extremely capable and they're okay. very, I mean, you know, they've got eight or nine full-time engineers, you know, working around the clock uh, got on you. this project because they, they believe in it as well. So um, we, we ended up getting uh, uh, a really pretty solid product to That's ship awesome. out. Um, the defect rate was still... It was below what we kind of projected, but okay. still, you know, had to sort it out. So, yeah, we did get some returns. It was, I think, around 6 or 7% defect rate. That's not bad. No, no, it wasn't so, bad at all. That's, so, did you, because from what I understand about it, and I have a limited knowledge in this space, but you basically need to go to manufacturing with a working version, and then they kind of still tweak it a little bit. Is that correct? Because you, you say they have a bunch of, they have people on their team, right? Right. And I'm assuming when you have to build, you, you kind of probably have to maybe go through a couple maybe manufacturing process because you have some electronics in there. You have to get like the actual thing, the cup made. And then there's other pieces. Like, did you have to work with a few manufacturing companies or, or do they just kind of handle that for you? Yeah. So again, um, it's, 
yeah, we have to work with to, to put together one mug takes 27 different manufacturers. Wow. So it's a it's a legitimate supply chain we had to build out sure. from the ground up, um, so, which is another reason why there were I mean, there was just so many delays and and um, issues that came up along the way that were really I mean, who would have guessed that it would take 27 manufacturers to put. together? Yeah, like I never would have. I maybe would have guessed like a couple, two, three. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. When you say 27 manufacturers, like it sounds like some of those probably build maybe like a really small component or just like one little piece of that. Is that fair to say? Yep. Yep. All the manufacturers are, they specialize in, you know, typically in, in one or two things. Um, okay. Whereas, you know, huge companies will build out their own factories and put the whole supply chain in one place. I got you. We're not at that caliber. So, um, we have to go for each individual component, whether it's plastic injection or heating plate or, okay. you know, the electronics or the battery. And those are all individual factories that, that manufacture those. So things. have you been to all 27 factories or you just kind of deal with a couple and then they handle the, the others? I visited um, most of them. Really? Yes. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like I've, I've seen, you know, in movies and, and kind of stuff or documentaries that kind of show the factory floor, like... I, and I get that through audio, it's hard to kind of say what they look like, but is it just like rows and rows of people just like assembling stuff or, or what does it kind of look like? Some of them, yeah. I mean, okay. like for instance, the battery factory that we work with is actually, they produce, um, We, I mean, we tried to find the highest quality manufacturers that we could. So sure. they're very, you know, uh, well-maintained, clean and, uh, you know, good places to work for, you know, Chinese people uh, sure. working there. So. Um, the, the battery factory, for instance, is, um, they produce the main battery for, I guess, the equivalent of the Tesla in China. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not as big as the Tesla, but it's like sure. their, their main electronic battery powered car. So, okay. so that factory, as an example, um, does have a tremendous amount of manpower there, um, you know, in, you know, working on, it's amazing when you think about a battery, um, like all the different things that go into it. Like you've got a, sure. you've got the internal, um, you know, stuff that goes inside and then they wrap it and they solder it. And then, you know, each person has a different uh, part in that process. So. Okay. So I'm assuming you've seen that whole process, like just mm -hmm. stood there and watched or yeah, yeah, that's cool. I would love to see that one day. Yeah. Just like, even, I don't even at the end of the day, really even care what they're building. It would just be fascinating to watch that whole thing kind of just unfold yeah yeah it's awesome it's like a how it's how it works or how it's totally made. Yeah, yeah 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 that's awesome yeah. so i'm kind of curious then how long did it take you going from kind of idea to the first run like it had to have been months oh, at was, least months it was more like a year yeah really okay yeah. because you know again putting these things together um you know not it's not a year from the time that i had the idea until we had a working prototype sure but from the prototype phase to actually, you know, being ready to put it out to market, okay, uh, took about a year. Yeah. Sure. No, that. But that's not terrible. It doesn't sound like a lot of time. Like in the startup space, yeah, a year is a long time. But when you're building something physical, especially electronics, that doesn't sound like that long a time. Is that a fair statement? No, not at all. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. Yes, that is a okay. fair statement. It's, okay. it's not. Um, you know. Uh, an unfair thought. I, I think that the issue with us was that um, even though we have a product ready to ship in a year time time span, there's still all these little things. Like for me, when I look at the product, I'm always saying, you know, 
um, I see all the things that need to be changed because I'm I'm listening to customer feedback. So right. to me, it is a final product, but I'm still constantly working with our manufacturer to say, um, we've got to improve this, we've got to improve that, we've got to improve this, we've got to improve that. So I got you. Um, so yes, it is a final product, but in my mind, there's still um, much further to go. Sure. It. Okay. So is a lot of that based on the customer feedback, your own thoughts, or a bit of both, or... Kind of how do you decide like, okay, well, you know, we have maybe these th say three things that we want to improve upon. Everything's working good now, mm -hmm. but we want to improve these things. Like how do you decide what to tackle first, I guess? It's a good question. I think um, most of it comes down to at our stage uh, cost because I, got you. I mean, you, you'd be amazed at like just a little changes, how much they cost because you've got to completely redo like a mold or something and I got you. create a new plastic injection molding to make, to make the battery just a different shape or something, you know, it's, I got you. So, but you just, yeah. Okay. So like that makes a lot of sense. You could be changing the whole or part, a big chunk of the, the design of the product just by making a little change. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I've got a lot of ideas um, for, you know, second generation, third generation, um, you know, versions. And, and I'm excited about that. It just takes, it's amazing the amount of capital it takes to get, to get you know, just little changes. or Sure. And obviously, the more orders you get, the cheaper they are per unit. Sure. But is, is there kind of a minimum run? Like you mentioned 100. Is that kind of a minimum? Can you do less than 100? Or at what point are they just like, sorry, we need a, you know, X amount. You know, the, the issue, oh, these are great questions. The issue is, uh, this is stuff we learned along the way. So, um, okay. because there are 27 different manufacturers. Sure. Um, and a lot of those factories are, you know, large scale producers of like batteries for, for, you know, a huge car in China. Sure. Um, they don't really, they won't take on a new client and produce for some, for like a bunch of guys in, in small scale. So you've really got to provide to them, um, you know, at least some evidence or incentive to, to you know, if, if I order a thousand at first, you know, you know, we're estimating projecting 10,000 later, 20,000 okay. later. Okay. So, so the MOQs or minimum orders are um, higher than a hundred. Um, right now we're, we're usually at about a thousand per run that okay. we can, that we can do. And so how long does it take to say, okay, we want another thousand. How long does it take for, for you to say like, Okay, build me another thousand. How long does it take for you to actually get them? Um, at this stage, probably like from if I put in a request today sure. for a thousand more to be manufactured, we could have them completed in thirty days. Oh, well, that's not bad. No, not at all. But then you've got to consider the time to to get it here. So okay, um, if you. You know, as of recent, we've been air shipping, which is extremely expensive. Sure, um, I can imagine. But there's a high demand, so we we, we don't want to um, run out of inventory. So, but uh, in the event that we're you know get on a more consistent kind of um, projection scale, then you know when you ship them by sea, it takes about six weeks. Okay. So 30 days plus another month and a half um, sure. to, to get it here. Interesting. And six weeks isn't terrible, but mm -mm. I, I get, like, if you're running out of supply and people are ordering, you're like, okay, we need some more. Let's get it over here. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what's the cost of the muck? Uh, MSRPs for, for $99. Okay. Online. And, and then you have a subscription model as well. Uh-huh. 
what what exactly is that? So the subscription model, so you can buy, we, we sell coffee that's compatible with the mug and we okay. kind of guarantee optimal results with our coffee because, sure. you know, off the shelf stuff, um, it's, it's packed very tightly, water doesn't flow through it as easily, the grade of the paper is too thick, so the extraction isn't as easy. So ours is kind of custom made to work with the system of brewing that we've designed. Okay. Um, so anyway, we sell our own coffee. It you can buy a 30-day supply for 24.99, but the the subscription you get a discount uh, at 19.99 per per 30-day supply. Okay. And uh, right now it's set on a month-to-month, but we're quickly or soon t- uh, going to be introducing kind of like an every other month, every three months kind of thing. I where, got you. Um, so, did you have to? How did you go about kind of sourcing coffee and then building your own kind of little coffee pods, for lack of a better term? Yeah, like they don't they don't look like a pod, but what what would you call that then? Um, I call it pre-filtered coffee. I mean, just because okay. it's it's literally just like a coffee filter that you would okay. put in a drip coffee system, okay. just closed around the coffee. I got you. Okay. Um, and the main purpose for that is just to you know the whole point of the mug is to to bring a whole new level of convenience for coffee drinkers so sure instead of having loose grounds that you have to clean up you can just kind of dispose of your your uh coffee filter sure especially when you're on the go right yeah that's the whole idea of the mug yeah so you don't want to be spilling your coffee grinds all over the car or wherever you are yeah i got you okay so walk me through the process of kind of how did you decide which coffee to carry and get it manufactured into into that filter that was um, actually a really fun process because we got to taste a ton of coffee. Sure. So did you have to travel for this? or? Yeah, I, I traveled. Um, all that's, that's a completely different supply chain, and that's set up in the U.S. Okay. Um, uh, but our, our coffee distributors, I mean, they do import coffee from like Ecuador, Costa Rica. I got you. You know, um, places like that. And then they roast it in the U.S., and then we uh, okay. uh, coordinate with multiple different distributors to – custom package different blends of coffee um got you and so yeah we that's that's the way it works okay no that's 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 really cool actually yeah so how long does that kind of whole process take i guess then from you you basically went to them and said okay well let's try a bunch of coffee we're going to decide which blends we're going to pick yep you pick them how long does it take to say like again kind of the order thing like i say you want like, okay well i need you know x amount of product mm-hmm. how long does it take from you to put that order in say today to when you have it at your you know in your hands um <clears throat> because our distributor works on you know really large volume they've got a lot of coffee sitting around sure so when we place an order and we issue you know what's called a po to them okay um our lead time is about two weeks until they actually fill that PO. Okay. And then another about week to ship it so that it's landed in our warehouse. I got you. So okay. much, much quicker than, than Sure, that. yeah. Fair. So do you kind of have to time when you're getting new mugs and new coffee then? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. So did, did they do the manufacturing of like closing up the filter or did you have to kind of outsource that a little bit? Or, or walk me through the process of kind of building that filter um yeah so the the filter we had to find a roaster is a very uh small section of the market but a a roaster that also packaged had the the machinery to package in pods or pre-filtered okay coffee so um there's not very many of them and because we were requesting some like very custom kind of requirements um we were able to 
um, to work out a, a you know a deal where they would customize it for us. And so they they do everything in house. They they source the coffee, they roast the coffee, and then they um, package the coffee in the pods and in the packages and do okay. all do all our packaging art and all that. So did you did they have a lot of say in the design of that, or you kind of sent that, or you worked with them, or a little bit of both? Um, nope. Uh, they basically said this is how we package pre-filtered coffee and I got you. we kind of had to work around that. Okay, so you had to incorporate that in the design of the mug. Yeah, because, um, and that's another thing that got brought up, we wanted to tip to, to like a proprietary type of um, pod, but sure. then you have to come up with a tooling for that, which was uh, well, so the tooling for it would be you know, six figures or more, but then the I machinery to produce it would be into the millions. So, wow. so, so hopefully one day. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's, that kind of goes back to the point of, you know, you have an, a small idea, Sure. you know, to say, okay, well, we'd like to have our own version of this. And, and then you, you know, work the numbers out and quickly realize it costs millions of dollars to do. So. Sure. And it's, it's not worth it, at yeah. least at this point. Anyway. Right. But, but I think that's good advice for people out there, right? Because the, the shows that I've done on hardware startups in the past um, get a lot of interest, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's why I'm like, it, it, I'm trying to tell those stories of people that have kind of been through it. Um, it makes a lot of sense, right? That you you sometimes have to make these trade-offs that maybe aren't ideal in certain cases, but unless you want to shell out millions of dollars, you're kind of like, well, we need to work around this, right? right. And I think right. that's super important to mention to people. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, you gotta kind of, um pick and choose where to, I guess, uh, make sacrifices or, and, and sometimes the sacrifices to, I guess, the founder or the person, you know, where the idea originated are, are more meaningful than it would be to the customer because, you know, as, as the, the person kind of driving the product, um, you see all the flaws, you know, you, sure. you see, you know, you're looking at it like it's, you know, it's, it's your child. It's your, um, you were there from the beginning and you see the, you saw the beginning, you, you see where it is today, but you also see the future. So, so kind of finding a, a middle ground there and knowing kind of where to uh, let it go. You know? Sure. No, I, I think that's good advice because even in the software space, you need to figure out where to let go. Obviously in the hardware space, you need to do the same thing. And it's, it's interesting to have people on like yourself on the show that have kind of been through it and been it done it in a couple industries now mm -hmm. and and how different it can be just based on the what you're trying to build in the in a different industry right so i'm kind of curious to know do you have any kind of tips or advice for people that are looking to kind of build a physical product yeah oh man um advice i would say one of the things that i had to learn doing this was just patience okay um so if you're not a patient person don't build the product <laughs> yeah but you know what i'm not i don't really consider myself a patient person okay in terms of i mean i've learned patience through through this process i, think. I got you that's a good way of putting it so sure. if you're maybe if you're not a patient person but you want to learn patience get into product development all right that's okay Any, uh, anything else you tell people i'd say stick with it i mean um it's a it's a I don't know, getting into this, I heard more it's not possibles and it can't be done than I ever would have imagined. Really? But From who? What types of people? Like I mean, everyone? I, I talked to over 11, 10 or 11 different um, like, 
like high quality de engineering design firms in the U.S. Really? And um, you know, some of them said, "Well, we have to charge you twenty-five thousand dollars just to do a feasibility study to see if it's possible." But most of them just said, "It's not possible with with battery technology in its current state um, and water requiring more energy than pretty much anything on Earth to heat up. Um, it, it can't be done with your list of requirements." So. That I mean, and that's just one example. There were sure, thirty sure. other things like that that happened along the way. So, so don't be discouraged uh, when you hear no. Um, just look at it like an opportunity to find um, a team or a partner that knows how to do it, because there's a lot of people in positions of authority that will tell you it can't be done, and it's easy to say, well, you know, that person knows more than I do, and a lot of times they do, but. Don't give up just because of that. I, I think that's really great advice, actually. And it makes a lot of sense because you're right. And, and part of, I think, the fun of being a founder and building something is overcoming that, right? And yeah. I know for me, nothing motivates me more when somebody tells me I can't do something. Yeah. And it sounds like you're kind of in the same boat, yeah. right? Because you had all these people say like, nah, nah, nah. And you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa no, I'm gonna figure this out. Like, yeah. screw you, <laughs> basically. I love it. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that um, if I tell someone an idea or um, tell someone I'm working on something, I feed more off the people that tell me that I can't do it than, sure, than same the, way. Yeah, the people awesome. that support me. Yeah. I, but And I think there's a lot of people out there like that. And I, I think it's good to just kind of reassure people, right? Because especially when it's something of your own, and like you kind of mentioned, like your own child or baby, like you're so heavily invested in this and you believe that it can be done. And then you hear all this negativity. It's almost like you need to just cut all those people out and just like, like keep going, yep. right? And, and turn a negative into kind of that positive motivation to keep going. Yeah. And so... I know this is kind of going back to earlier on in the show, but so then what made you find the engineer that actually helped you say, yeah, let's, let's give this a shot. Um, I mean, it was a lot of trial and error through conversation and, um, and, and sacrificing. So there were, I gave every one of the engineers a list of requirements that said, you know, the, the mug in its final state has to, be able to hold this much liquid. It's got to okay. be able to fit in any standard cup holder. It can't weigh more than this. It can't be uh, uh, taller than this. The battery itself has, you know, so on and so forth. So knowing where to say, to find a firm that was, uh, you know, a, a really good outfit um, that believed that they could do it, but with, you know, with some qualifications of, well, you've got to go back to your list of requirements and, you know, maybe maybe take you know this can't weigh more than a pound off of it and I think that we can do it kind of thing so so going back and forth and interviewing I guess the firms um, and the people associated with them hearing someone finding someone that said that I think that I can do this um, made me much more confident thinking well this this is the person I've been looking for you know I, you. I want to work with a team that says it's not easy but I can I can pull it off okay so how long, roughly, did it take you to finally get that? Like, yeah, I think I can do that. It sounds like months, probably. Um, to decide on a firm? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely months. Okay. Okay. So, no, it's good to know, right? Because I think you kind of just need to figure it out. Yeah. I think that's, that's really good advice. But sadly, Jordan, we're running out of time, but this has been awesome. So yeah, let's kind of close the show with promoting 
where people can find you online, um, and if you want to promote any social media links as well, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, right now you can you can go directly to HeyJoeCoffee.com. Okay. Um, and you can uh, you can buy it there. Sure. You, you know, you've got the as you mentioned the subscription service. If you want to save a little and you drink a lot of coffee, or uh, or if you want to just try 30-day supply with, with a, uh, a Gojo mug, Perfect. then uh, you can buy it there. I love it, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to kind of keeping you in touch and seeing where you take this thing. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Perfect, appreciate man. It. Great. We'll talk soon. Cool. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.